Welcome to The Barrel Banter, a show covering all things Milwaukee Brewers. From trades to signings, player analysis to game recaps, or discussing uniforms, ballpark food, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Goh. Hello, welcome back Brewers fans to The Barrel Banter. I'm your host, Peter Goh. David, alongside me, in person today. Uh, which should make for a good podcast. Welcome to the show, and welcome back to Wisconsin. Thank you. We had a good Thanksgiving. Um, we've had a, a couple big Brewers moves as well, but perhaps none other than none bigger than seeing both K-Rod and J.J. Hardy on this year's Hall of Fame ballot. Neither of them really stand much of a chance of induction, especially Hardy. K-Rod, I don't even know if he'll get the 5% to stay on. Hardy for sure won't. I feel like I, I, I don't, I'm not going to say K-Rod should be a Hall of Famer, but I feel like he's a guy who should get 5%. I know that sounds weird, but we were comparing his stats to Lee Smith, of course, who is a Hall of Famer. And Lee Smith, pretty much outright better career than K-Rod for the most part. But Lee Smith is in the Hall of Fame, and K-Rod, I would say, is maybe a step down, if a full step down. I mean, almost like a partial, so I, I don't know. If you count Lee Smith as a Hall of Famer, and uh, it, depending, I guess, where you leave him, if he's like the the bar then i guess yeah k-rod definitely doesn't but yeah i mean do you take the lowest hall of famer or to what to what degree i mean there's of course you could talk about all the ones that are maybe not deserving the better comp to me for k-rod is joe nathan same era similar number of innings k-rod has 60 more saves than joe nathan did over his career but similar similar era similar wins above replacement so Joe Nathan had about 4% of the vote last year. He fell off the ballot. So I think that might be the fate that we see handed to K-Rod this year. Yeah, that is a really good comp. I, I'm curious, though, how relievers are going to be judged in the Hall of Fame going forward as you see less of the traditional closer role and, and what stat do you go off of if you're not going to go off of saves so much. They're, they're not going to have the quantity that the starters are going to have. But I guess the starters aren't going to have the quantity that the former starters had either so i don't know it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting but it is it was a little bit weird to see k-rod and hardy on the on the ballot it certainly it's felt like a long time since hardy was in the big leagues um of course after switching leagues over to the al but um yeah crazy to see them on the ballot today so today we got a good podcast we are going to uh, go through of course break down the news hunter renfro heading to the angels with the brewers in return of course gotta mention it of course acquiring junk uh, as well as two other pitchers. I, I, I had to do that. I had to get that out of my system now. Uh, that will be grading our hitters. You can check out um, our Twitter at the Barrel MKE for our full grade, but we'll be touching on some of those today. And and then talking about a possible Willie Adames extension um, and closing off today's episode with a fact or fiction. So before we get to the Hunter Renfro trade um, and that, let's, uh, let's do our name that player here at the beginning. So for those that aren't regular listeners, five clues... David, can you name that player based off of five clues? So today, first clue for this uh, name that player, a former brewer. This player was born November 1st, 1984, bats left, throws right, and is a position player. There's our first uh, clue of the name that player today. Kirk Neuenheis. All right. <laughs> Kirk Neuenheis. That's a, I haven't heard that name in a while. This player was a two-time All-Star and played in both the National League and American League. He was born in in 84, you said? Correct. Okay. 
I'll even throw in a bonus clue. He is an active player. Really? But a two-time All-Star, and he played for the Brewers. He was a position player, you said. Okay. I have to repeat all of them. Um, Just a a brief reminder, if you you want, you can 2X the podcast on our uh, Name That Brewer while David uh, combs combs the memory. Yeah. Any um, guess? Otherwise, I'll go with clue number three. Uh, Mike Moustakis, all right, who's Mike Moustakis. younger than that. but That's all right. That's all right. Uh, this, this player spent <coughs> one year with the Brewers. Uh, in his year with the Brewers, 129 plate appearances, eight home runs, uh, 254 batting average, and an OPS plus of exactly 100. And he did play for the Brewers in the last 10 years. I mean, I kind of figured. I guess that <laughs> just eliminates, like, Nelson Cruz. There we go. Is that what you were going no, for? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, was he a two-time All-Star? Am I allowed to ask you a question? You are not. I will jump to clue number okay. four here. This this position player played behind the dish for the Brewers, like I said, in the last 10 years. Catcher, two-time All-Star. Played in both the National League and American League, spending just one year with the Brewers. But he was born in 84? Correct. November 1st, 1984. And a catcher for the Brewers. Two-time All-Star. We've got we've got David stumped here. So it's not Yasmani Grandel. It is not Yasmani Grandel. So final clue here. This catcher for the Brewers, 2017, he spent a season with the Brewers. Uh, debuted in 2012 with... The Rays, and then was spent some time in Oakland, uh, where he was. Oh, known. and uh, that gosh. that <laughs> I forgot. Stephen Vote was a two-time All Star. He was a two-time All Star, yeah. which is, is kind of surprising, but uh, had a couple of good years in Oakland, and uh, is our name that Brewer. I'm impressed that I, I stumped David, and I'm not impressed that David I didn't get that. I I just did his a uh, birthday shout out on Twitter, like well that's, that's three right. weeks ago, so that's what I was trying to think of. But I couldn't think of any all-star catchers we've had in the last 10 years other than Luke Roy and Grindahl and Narvaez, yeah. I guess. I guess that's yeah. three. But, <laughs> that's actually true. But, yeah, three all-stars. Yeah. Three all-stars plus, yeah, vote who was who was an all-star previously. So there's our name, Matt Brewer. Uh, that was a, a good chance that uh, you could have beat David on that. There's not a lot of days you could have. That would have been one. So Stephen vote our name, Matt Brewer. David, let's get into it. Hunter Renfro to the Angels. Brewers acquiring three prospects. Let's first look at the Brewers' uh, loss in this trade in Hunter Renfro. Uh, I think we all know they, the consideration of this trade has a lot to do with money. And so share a little bit of background on perhaps why you think the Brewers made the decision outside of just cutting costs in general. Yeah, the $11 million that he was projected to make in arbitration was probably the main driver behind this trade. Last year, he was he was pretty solid. He was an above-average hitter across the board, about, about an average on-base percentage with good power decent fielder he could throw pretty well and he was he was pretty consistent I mean he'd always been a streaky hitter in his career so he had that a little bit but he was he was more consistent with the Brewers than he had been in previous years Um, but I think the maybe why they did it was in addition to the the cutting costs they also wanted to see more at bats to Esturi Ruiz to Sal Freilich to Garrett Mitchell and, and even Joey Weimer maybe a little bit later on maybe in the second half so I think that that was one of the drivers of the trade as well. Yeah, yeah. I have to say uh, Renfro was a bit of a streaky hitter, but he was the Brewers' really most consistent offensive player, I think, 
last year. I, I guess you could maybe make the case for Yelich um, as far as consistency. But I, I, I liked Renfro in the middle of the order. I'm really sad to see him go. When I heard the news, I was not very happy with this. I think what my, my, my final thoughts on the, on the trade will just come down to what the Brewers do the rest of the offseason. Because um, if they end up just sitting on their hands, then I really hate this trade. Um, if the Brewers sign like Jose Abreu or something like that, or extend Adames, Burns, Woodruff, okay, I'm not I'm not opposed to it, then I uh, would assume that that played into it. But if we don't do one of those things, if we don't extend one of our stars or acquire somebody halfway decent, it seems like doesn't make a lot of sense. Even knowing, like you said, we have a lot of prospect talent, and we also have been through this before, Brett Phillips, Corey Ray, Lewis Brinson. Hopefully we don't have a repeat of that, but it doesn't mean we couldn't. And to give up uh, above average right fielder, I think both offensively and defensively, uh, makes me a little bit concerned when we're looking at a contending team, not a team that's necessarily just trying to get prospects playing time. I would contend that probably the most consistent hitter last year was Jonathan Davis. That's true. He was consistent at what he did offensively. Didn't he hit like... I feel like one of our random stats was that he hit like really well when he batted like eighth or something or ninth something, something like that something weird one of one of the batting order yeah. spots yeah he had a 344 on base and a 237 slugging and he was fast he was fast and he made that catch that's true. that one catch yeah, in tampa true. bay that's true so let's let's look at what the brewers got in return uh, obviously jansen junk the uh, the favorite return in that trade as well as elvis uh, figuro and adam seminara so to share a little bit more about those three prospects uh, the Brewers received in the swap. Jansen Junk has seen some time in the major leagues with the Angels. He was originally a Yankees draft pick, and he went over in the Andrew Heaney trade that worked out uh, pretty poorly for the Yankees and ended up getting released before his time even ended in New York. But Junk, in 25 innings of, of pitching with the Angels the last two years, an ERA up 4.74, which is... Um, quite a bit below average but he was never really put in a role where he was maybe ideally going to succeed he was a like kind of an inconsistently um like an inconsistent starter thrown into the mix swingman sort of called up here and there Um, it's always hard to get settled especially when you're trying to establish yourself as a big leaguer in that role but he had a strikeout rate of 19 percent a little bit below league average, but a pretty solid 5% walk rate. He has four pitches. He's got a sinker, um, excuse me, a four-seamer and a slider that are both okay. They had okay results. And he threw the two of those combined almost 90%, but his curveball and changeup were terrible. The slider and the four-seamer might be enough for him to be okay in a relief role, but realistically probably won't ever truly be a starter unless he adds a, a good third pitch. Yeah, and he was okay in AAA. Didn't have very impressive results. Uh, ERA around 4.6, 4.7 across 73 innings. So nothing exactly exciting or special in junk. Um, what about Elvis Figuro? He maybe has a little bit more upside. He's been up to 100 miles an hour with the fastball. Sits in the mid to upper 90s, and he's got a good slider. The, the main problem is that his fastball that he throws is a sinker, and it's really flat, so it gets hit hard. Um, I don't I don't have the numbers pulled up on the fastball, what opponents hit, but he did allow 20 earned runs across 19 and two-thirds innings last year, so clearly bad numbers in the major leagues. He was able to have some success at AAA with an ERA below three in 45 innings as a reliever, but because his fastball is really flat, he actually does throw um, almost two-thirds sliders, 
So you can get away with that as a as a right-handed relief pitcher facing primarily right-handed hitters. He's probably going to take, I would say, the I would guess the Yandel Gustave role. He'll maybe throw 20 innings for the Brewers next year, up and down between AAA and the majors. We'll see him some, but I, I don't think he'll be on the opening day roster. I don't think he'll play a huge role on the 2023 Brewers. Yeah, certainly at least a little bit of upside uh, as opposed to maybe a guy like Jansen Junk. Adam Sebaneris, the third piece, got to AAA last year. Left-hander, uh, spent some time across high A, double A, and triple A last year. Uh, you, you shared that he was kind of a Brent Suter type pitcher. I guess in some regards, um, maybe he doesn't have as much upside given that he's, you know, sits kind of 89, 92, not a real flashy pitcher, but a guy who still has some time to develop in the, in the minor leagues. Perhaps we see him reach the bullpen um, probably next year, I would imagine, probably not, or excuse me, 2024 as opposed to next year. Is that a fair, uh, a fair guess on that? Yeah, I'd be surprised if we saw him next year. He's kind of your classic touch-and-feel lefty, so he sits like upper 80s to low 90s. Um, doesn't really have a plus pitch, but he has he has good command, so that's where he's going to be able to, um, to succeed enough. He didn't really get righties out when he got to the higher levels of the minors this, this past year. Uh, he started out in, in high A and had a, a sub-1 ERA actually across, across uh, 36 innings. But... Double A, he uh, had an ERA up near five, and Triple A struggled as well. So, what role the Brewers try to have him in? Um, we'll see. I think traditionally we, you saw the touch and feel lefties as, oh, this guy could only be a starter. He's not going to be a reliever. But we saw Brent Suter as he's the touch and feel lefty. Um, of course, the Brewers just waived him, uh, which we didn't even mention earlier in the episode. But him going to Colorado, uh, and Seminaris could end up taking that role long term. He, he might not be able to get more than about one time through the order, but he could be someone that maybe becomes a, a long reliever, a two to three inning low leverage reliever, maybe next year, maybe even in 2024. Yeah, now that Renfro's gone, we, we know the prospects are likely the, the players that are going to take his spot unless we see a, a bigger acquisition in the offseason still. But is it fair to say that we can just expect the Brewers to, to plug that hole in right field with the expectation of, of Yelich, Taylor, Mitchell, and the rest of the prospect gang, I guess? Yeah, I think so. Yelich should be in left uh, pretty much every day. Might get some at-bats at DH. I think I think what the Brewers could decide to do with left is um, have Yelich DH and then have another left fielder that comes in who can field a little bit better if they don't find a, a Jose Abreu or Jose Abreu, literally, <laughs> or someone maybe that's that's kind of like that. I think we'll maybe see Taylor in his his same three to four hundred at bat role, and then we'll probably see Mitchell. I would guess on opening day, it's possible we see Freilich up, and I wouldn't be shocked if we saw the Brewers bring in an outfielder who will play some. But I wouldn't be a fan of it, especially with Weimer presumably coming in into the picture. Maybe not at the beginning of the year, but maybe more towards midseason. And even Asturi Ruiz provides some nice insurance. Yeah, I mean. We've got a lot of guys. I would be, I guess I would say, very much opposed to bringing in a guy who's just going to take up spots and clog up. Like if, if we're going to get rid of a valuable player like Renfro, let's let's give the prospects a chance. And at least we do have multiple options. So maybe Garrett Mitchell continues with a 500 Babbitt like mm-hmm. next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll, see if that, Hopefully. we'll see if that goes. All right, so for our second story today here, Brewers hitters grades. So looking at 
how the Brewers position players performed last year. Full grades, again, can be found on our Twitter account at the Barrel MKE. But wanted to touch on four players that I think we had, some had some differing opinions, others not as much, but were maybe a little bit of the more polarizing players if you look at Brewers fans, Brewers Twitter. Let's start with one that I think is pretty polarizing, Colton Wong. What was your grade for him? I gave Wong a B. I thought he had a solid season, especially with the bat, but he didn't really live up to the expectations or his track record with with the glove. Uh, he struggled. He made way more errors than he really normally does. I think maybe his rookie year he had the same number of errors. He didn't hit against left-handed pitching, and so that's partly why his numbers were up, although I would still give him credit, and that's why I would give him a B for having a better offensive year. 18% above league average as a second baseman, and he did hit 15 home runs, which was better than we've we've seen in recent years out of Wong. Yeah, I actually gave Wong a, a much higher grade. Like you said, good power, 770 OPS from a second baseman. Uh, I think you do factor in the defense. Um, it was rough and inconsistent. Um, and I think you look at, in my opinion, the way that he finished the year. Looking forward to what next year, not necessarily so much for the grade, but looking forward to next year, I, I'm expecting... Uh, another follow-up good season from him. My grade for Colton Wong was an A minus, which may be a little bit on the high side. But when I look at expectations, way on the high side. Okay. Well, I guess it, let's let's look, let's look at that then. Uh, Colton Wong expectations going into the year. I I don't think that we were expecting him to be 18% above average uh, of all offensive players from a second baseman who has not been necessarily a bat for second baseman. He was the second most valuable position player for the Brewers according to. B war, uh, to me there was a lot to like about his his season. Like you said, more power as well. Um, maybe I'd go down to a B plus, but I still think B plus A minus far exceeded expectations. And the defensive struggled struggles were a factor, um, but I think that was more early on in the season. And he even shared that he was perhaps dealing with some things that uh, caused some of those miscues. Yeah, I mean they were part of like these are partly based on expectations. They're like a mix of expectations and just purely how good the player yeah. is. But I think the expectations were that he'd be about a three-win player. He was worth 3.1 wins above replacement, which basically the same as he was in 21. He just got to it a little bit differently. So whereas last year he was worth more with the glove and less with the bat, this year he was worth more with the bat and less with the glove. I think if you're looking ahead to next year, yeah, I'm a little bit more optimistic that he's going to have a bounce back defensive season but we're also grading on this past year so that's where sure i would settle on on a b looking at at this past season for wong yeah and i i think next year his defense resumes back to where he was previously and i would expect his bat to stay around similar and i'm a big fan of of primarily hitting him against righties so i think that should help as well but a three a three win player um he hasn't necessarily been a three win player his whole his whole career. He's had some some years that were higher, some that were lower. Um, so I think, yeah, it's probably a, a somewhat reasonable expectation. But if he has a three-win year next year, uh, I think that's definitely a solid, solid year from him. So uh, Colton Wong there. We've got a, a B and an A-. minus. Christian Yelich. Um, David, what was your grade for Yelich? I gave Yelich a C. He, he was better this year than he was in both 2021 and 2020. The expectations weren't that he would be his 2018-19 self, but it was still that he would have a lot of the power come back. He would still be one of the better left fielders across the league, and he wasn't that. He had a 383 slugging, 
he did get on base as a leadoff hitter, and so he does have a role there as the Brewers table setter, uh, somebody who gets on base a good amount. Uh, he got on base at a 355 clip, enough where he was 11% above average as a hitter, but he still is he's a, an above average player, but that's who he is at this point. And the expectations, the amount we're paying, uh, is for him to be more than that. So if Tyrone Taylor put up this season, I would give him a, a very good grade. But with Yelich putting up this season, I'd give him a C. Imagine if we would have said back in 2019 that Colton Wong would have had a higher OPS and more home runs than Christian Yelich mm-hmm. in, in 2022. Like, that's just, it, it was just funny to hear table setter. I mean, that's what Yelich really is at this point. Is He's a good table setter at this point. Um, but he's setting the table for Colton Wong and Rowdy Telez and, and yeah. Willie Adames and formerly known Hunter Renfro. So uh, it, it is a bit strange. I, I gave Yelich a, a C as well. I think he was maybe slightly above expectations um, given his last couple of seasons, but there's, of course, always that hope that, that we'd all of a sudden see the 2018-2019 glimpse. And I, I had some hope, actually, of that going into the year. He hit the ball really hard, I remember, at the mm-hmm. start of the year, uh, which were some we saw some good underlying things that I was hoping were going to lead to more output offensively, but didn't end up being the case. So going to settle in with the C for Christian Yelich. I probably our most polarizing a player across Brewers fans is Luis Urias. What was your grade for Urias this year? I'd give him a B. I thought that he was actually pretty good, and he gets a lot of hate from Brewers fans, from Brewers Twitter, but he was actually a pretty solid player. He did get hurt, so he missed some time with, I think it was a broken hand at the beginning of the year, had a little bit under 500 plate appearances, but in the time that he did play, he more than made up for that missed time. Uh, he hit 239, which is still uh, just below league average of a, of a batting average. But as a hitter overall, when you look at OPS, he was better than average. A similar hitter to Yelich, to Willie Adames, even though nobody would talk about Luis Urias alongside those two. He was a pretty solid defender at third and at second. Don't play him at short more than you have to. But he, he did field that at, at third and second pretty well. It was really just a few kind of bad errors that he made at third for a stretch that people were starting to say that he was a terrible defender. And he he made up for that with his range and with some really nice plays that he made. We've seen him make some excellent plays. He's a pretty consistent hitter. And he got off to a, a pretty slow start and finished off the year really well. And so that's why I think a lot of people didn't realize how good his year actually was. He didn't necessarily take a step forward, but he was still pretty solid. Yeah, I think, and it's good looking into next year, of course, to have the the, the strong finish like he did. Um, similar to I guess Colton Wong's defense uh, as well. But I think something to point out is Urias had a had a pretty solid year, like you said, above average bat, good defense, good defender in the infield for the most part. Twenty twenty one, so his 20, 2021 season slash line two forty nine, three forty five, four forty five. His twenty twenty two slash line two thirty nine, three thirty five, four hundred four. So really, to me, taking a little bit of a step back. When you look at the slash line, um, and again, there were some injuries there. He played a little bit less this year than last year, and his offensive output was slightly lower than last year. Given all of that, I, I did have a, a much lower grade for Luis Urias. I gave him a, a C plus. I, I don't necessarily know. Expectations were pretty high for him. I think the Brewers were really expecting, uh, or Brewers fans were really expecting kind of a, a large leap forward from Urias after his solid, solid 2021 season. I almost feel like his 21 season was a little bit um, 
overrated, and his 2022 season was a little bit underrated. I don't think he. I don't think his 2021 was overrated. I don't know. I don't know. But it seems like I don't know. They were pretty much very very similar seasons, but clearly his 21 campaign was slightly better. Obviously, when you've got a young player, you want to continue to see steps forward. So, I guess the question is, are, have we hit, have we reached the Luis Urias plateau? Is this what we expect to see? Maybe a 10 percent above league average hitter with a de- decent glove at, like you said, at second and third base. Yeah, I mean it's possible, and I think that that would be actually like a reasonably good outcome. Yeah, I mean we traded we traded Trent Grisham for him. Grisham is probably a two to two and a half win player. Um, you were saying how Urias's numbers fell, and they did. His OPS dropped from 789 to 739, but also around the league, offense dropped as a whole. The average slugging percentage went down by 16 points, and on base went down by 5 points. And I think even in the NL, it might have been a little bit more um, dramatic when you're factoring in the, the, non, the, the position players, take out the pitchers hitting. So... Yeah, so I mean, even if you even if you call it uh, an even season from this year to last year, I guess still that still to me sits at maybe a, a C plus because I think we did expect him to take a step forward in some uh, some capacity, and I'm not sure that he necessarily did. So I don't know. I guess we'll continue the debate. That's always a, a fun uh, hot topic. Luis Urias and his uh, future with the Brewers. So Rowdy Telez, our our final one here. Rowdy Telez had the good had the good home run numbers, power numbers. He was. Uh, course in that middle of the order for the Brewers for the most part what was your grade for Rowdy Telez I gave him a B I like the the batting average would be the 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 clear place where he could improve and I I think he was subject to some bad luck his batting average on balls in play which is a, a good indicator of luck in part um was quite low lower than his even his career norms so he only hit 219 as a result. His on-base was a little over 300, but he did still hit 35 home runs, and his defense was a little bit below average at first. But I have a hard time expecting Rowdy Telez to give you more than a little bit below average defense at first base. He was very sure-handed. He made some nice picks. And, of course, the range isn't going to be there. The base running skills aren't going to be there. So I feel like he, he kind of did his job, even though his wins above replacement wasn't that great because he played first base, because of the low batting average, and because of that, the, the fielding and base running skills that, that Rowdy possesses or doesn't possess. <laughs> the lack thereof, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and 35 home runs is certainly not a, a season to sneeze at, but we also have to think about Chris Carter uh, and his season, of, of course, a 35 home run. I try plus. not to. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry, I just brought that up. Now you're probably thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, to less, like you said, 35 home runs, 767 OPS, um, interesting to see the baseball reference projections has his OPS dropping next year, but mm-hmm. I think it. I think you are correct in you know seeing the the BABIP lower for Telez. Uh, another factor for a guy like Rowdy Telez is the the shift, obviously. So we're maybe we see mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, I guess a positive move in the positive direction for Telez in, in batting average on balls in play, both perhaps from just regression and also uh, the shift should help him. You would think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean we've. There's been debates about how much that really will impact players, but if it's going to impact players, he's certainly one of the main guys, mm-hmm. or one of uh, the, that group in that group of, of guys, of mm-hmm. course, with the heavy shift. So, um, yeah, I think that there's reason to believe he could improve next year. Is he a great first baseman? Not necessarily, but 
serves as a, a viable option. Yeah, his BABIP was 215. League average varies from year to year, but typically around 300. And it's going to be lower for him. He's slow for one, and he's a dead pull lefty. Right. But 215 is still well below his career average of even after this year, 255. Yeah. So it was about yeah. 270. 275 and, in prior years and it was a big dip in batting average in the 21 campaign with the brewers which was of course partial season 168 at bats he had 272 um and maybe it was a little bit of the reverse but i i wonder too it, does hard hit rate how does that play into bapip does that i assume that it does it does a, yeah but rowdy does hit the ball harder than the average player too right, right. so that's why he he should be and it, it will improve naturally with the shift by Probably about four to six hits, hits, which might not seem like a lot, but when you when you figure out that math, um, that would I think improve his batting average by about ten points alone, mm-hmm. ten to ten to fifteen points alone, uh, and even Fangraphs uh, steamer projections, which are considered to be the best publicly known projections, um, and they're already out for twenty twenty three. They have him with a two fifty nine BABIP hitting 248 next year, slugging 487 and being worth just a little bit over two wins above replacement. Yeah. So that's a solid, that's even, a solid season. That, I mean, yeah, that wasn't his 2022 season. Right. That's not what we're grading on, right. but it gives us hope, more hope for the future. Yeah. And and they still have him hitting 30 home runs as well. So I, I think there's definitely a spot for him. Um, I think in a, in a perfect world, maybe the Brewers have a platoon partner. That's a solid bat mm-hmm. at first as well, but Rowdy will serve as Andrew purpose. McCutcheon. I said a viable option. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but uh, does he get a pass because he's Andrew McCutcheon? That's true. Former MVP. Yeah. yeah. Clubhouse guy. Yeah, clubhouse yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of clubhouse guy, Willie Adames, we've, we're hearing in the news about, of course, the Brewers talks of Woodruff and Burns extension talks, and now the latest Willie Adames. Pretty, I think, uh, everybody would agree that the Brewers' best position player mm-hmm. over the last two years uh, has made it clear he wants to stay in Milwaukee. Seems like he does enjoy... Uh, being here two more years of team control yet the Brewers have for Adames what are your thoughts on Adames extension is that a viable extension or is this just kind of going through the rounds as we get closer to the six-year arbitration mark I think it's viable I I hope it happens and of course we don't know any of the financials and we don't know if they will be able to come to an agreement on the financials but yeah he said he wants to stay the Brewers, of course, have a good team, and there's not an obvious answer at short. Two-ring being the everyday shortstop, I think, is pretty unlikely. Profiles better defensively at second, and offensively, he might not even be good enough, uh, say, for a couple years in his prime to be more than a super utility player, especially in the modern game. So I wouldn't be comfortable just handing the shortstop job to Two-ring or expecting him to take that. Eric Brown Jr., uh, he was their first-round pick this year. He's He's a ways away. So it would be a little bit foolish to bank on that. Usually not not a not a good um, a good idea to bank on prospects that have just entered the minor leagues. Um, so I hope it gets done. I don't know how that might affect a possible Burns or Woodruff extension. Jeff Passan reported at the beginning of the offseason that the Brewers are not looking to trade Adames, Burns, or Woodruff, but they're looking to build around those three. So seemingly, if they're looking to build around those three, they're also looking to extend them. And Matt Arnold said that perhaps the biggest part of his job this offseason will be extensions, looking at who they might want to extend, who they might be able to extend. And we haven't heard anything specifically on whether or not they're having extension talks with Burns or Woodruff. But Willie Adames, we all know, is well worthy of uh, staying at 
at short in Milwaukee, and fans love him. I think it's pretty clear that, that Adames and the Brewers are a good fit for each other. Yeah, and, and perhaps a little bit of a, a lower price point given uh, given his production compared to aces like Burns and Woodruff. Burns and Woodruff's, you know, you hear about the $200 million contract extensions, whether that would happen or not, uh, or the Brewers would even choose to fork that money over. When we're, we're talking about an extension for Adames, I know that there's a lot of factors um, as far as what that contract extension would look like, guaranteed, non-guaranteed, of course, the length of it. But are we talking about, you know, minimum, this is going to be a $100 million extension? No, I don't think we're talking about $100 million. So um, to start out or kind of like building the contract, he's scheduled to make about two, or excuse me, he's slated to make about $9 million, not not $2 million, 9.2. Um, this is MLB trade rumors projection that's that that people usually go off of i would guess next year if he has a pretty solid year he'll make about 14 14 or 15 million so if you if you put in even 25 million for the first two years that are going to be buying out the arbitration years um tack that onto the front and then i i would guess that it he'd be making somewhere between 15 to 18 for a few more years so if they add on say three more years after arbitration um, somewhere between that range of 15 and 18 million, maybe closer to the 18 million range. Um, so maybe we're looking at something like five years, 80, um, similar to the Lorenzo Kane extension or free agent contract um, in a Willie Adames extension. I don't know exactly because we haven't seen shortstops of his caliber sign extensions lately. Yeah. Like Xander Bogarts was a little bit better than him, and that was. A number of years ago and a lot of the shortstops have been hitting free agency lately that are in the the a tier and adamas is one tier below that yeah so yeah no, i think is... i think it's even possible we see the brewers wait to kind of see or adamas's camp wait to see what the market is for shortstops wait to see what what dansby swanson gets paid wait to see what trey turner gets paid and kind of go off of that not to match their salaries but to say, okay, if this guy got right. 28 a year, then I should get probably 20 a year or 18 a year, whatever it may be. But somewhere in that range, I would guess of five years, 80 million, plus or minus 10 to 15. Yeah. Yeah, on either either end. I see. I, it feels like a rather low risk move for the Brewers mm-hmm. to extend uh, Adames to an extension like that. Position players generally a little bit less risky mm-hmm. in general. But I, I find it hard to believe the Brewers get burned on a. On an extension yeah, like that, I agree. There obviously, obviously, there's risk to both sides. Anytime you're extending, that's the whole point of it. Mm-hmm. But even like thinking about the Aaron Ashby extension, there's a lot more downside risk, in my opinion, to that extension. Um, because well, kind. Of. I mean, it's much lower stakes, though. It is. It is lower stakes, but I think the risk. Adames has proven that he's going to be a solid defender at short. He's going to have a bat at short as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, worst case scenario, he's the everyday starter, barring of course injuries or something like that. I think for the most part. You can expect that for the next, I would say, four or five years, if if the Brewers were to extend him to say a five-year extension, highly, highly unlikely that he doesn't start pretty much every game at short when he's healthy. Yeah, one thing I actually wonder about is will his defensive metrics grade out worse next year with the shift restrictions, and is that something? I'm sure that's something the Brewers have thought about, but um, but you look at his 2022 numbers and he was. According to Fangraphs, 15 runs above average defensively this year versus about average last year. And definitely I could see a lot of that being that he that he did feel better. But 
could perhaps part of it be positioning possibly especially with the fluctuation in uh in fielding numbers from year to year right and i, I mean and also a player in his late 20s when we're talking five years six years at a position like shortstop too we mm-hmm. would probably expect to see some decline defensively mm-hmm. even i was gonna say even lorenzo kane but we like barely saw much of a decline <laughs> defensively yeah um, in barely. some cases uh even only when he was on a sp- sprained ankle yeah right he only robbed a home run yeah one. only <laughs> yeah only. yeah <laughs> but yeah we would expect to see some defensive regression as he gets into his 30s as well um but i i, I see I, I see the brewers you know i i just find it hard to believe the brewers lose in extending adames to a, an extension like that if, mm-hmm. if that were the case um to me much 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 lower stakes than a burns or woodruff extension we talked about the three the three players the Brewers plan to to build around. A couple of players the Brewers do not plan to build around. Uh, I'm sure you're very sad to see Trevor Gott go, Yandel Gustave, who actually made a, a brief appearance mm-hmm. in a comp earlier, Luis Perdomo. Uh, those three players all gone. Perdomo, to me, was one I was a little bit sad about. I wanted to see more of him. felt like there was still some value to be had. Um, Gott, I was kind of 50-50 either way, and, and Gustave is more or less just a replacement guy. Uh, but... Any thought on, on those three players that the Brewers decided to, to move on from? Got made the most sense to non-tender because he was going to make probably $1.5 million, which is not a huge sum, but he's really no better than the, the decent AAA reliever that you call up. That's fair. Yeah, that's true. So Gustave and Perdomo were making not much more than the minimum, and so I think the Brewers said we could easily replace these guys, and both of them were going to be out of options. Well, actually, all three. So I think that's where it comes in, too, with the roster flexibility. Primarily, I, I think Gustave was probably not good enough to keep anyways. Mm-hmm. Who He has like five years of service time. I did not realize that Yeah, because he pitched with Pittsburgh for a couple of years. That's he was right. on the 2017 Astros, yep. so right. um, he got a ring, I guess, um, in, in that uh, controversial championship, although he wasn't on the playoff roster, of course. Um, and Luis Perdomo, like, he was better than I think God or Gustave was, mm-hmm. more valuable member to the bullpen. But I think that that lack of flexibility with him being out of options was what made it a little bit difficult to to stomach more more so than the extra three hundred thousand that you're going to be paying him. Yeah, no, that's good. That is that is a good point. Flexibility does matter. Like I said, Perdomo was the one I would have liked to see more of. But Brewers did make an acquisition of Blake Perkins. Anything to note uh, on the Brewers' acquisition of Perkins? Some people are saying he's going to replace Renfro because it was a major league contract, but that just means he'll go on the 40-man roster. He's got all three minor league options remaining. He was a, always a pretty good defensive center fielder who could run, but he never hit enough to be a, a real prospect um, or, or a highly ranked prospect uh, in the, the national system originally. And then last year, he had a pretty good year in AAA, and he finally had a, an OPS over 800, had an on-base percentage up at about 375, in addition to his good defense, his good speed. So perhaps there's something there. He was 25, 26 last year. Maybe profile similar to a Tyrone Taylor um, if, if things turn out well. I mean, this is somebody who's never played in the major leagues. But with with some of the prospects getting called up, presumably, to take Renfro's spot, Perkins will slide in, not in right field for the, the Brewers, or unlikely, uh, but more so taking the at-bats away from the guys who will be in the majors who won't be in AAA because Renfro took um, or Renfro left and went to the Angels. Yeah, I saw a lot of fans bashing the the signing of Perkins with the whole that it was a major league deal and that he right. never played in the major leagues. Yeah, but 
is it safe to say that the Brewers likely signed into a major league deal? I assume he gets paid more uh, in a major league deal, perhaps more guaranteed money. And I'm sure a guy like him could have easily signed a minor league deal somewhere mm-hmm. else. So the Brewers just wanted him a little bit more yeah. and offered him a 40-man spot to mm-hmm. try to get him to come to Milwaukee. Is that, is that yeah, right? that's okay. typically how it goes. Yeah, yeah. so it makes, makes a lot of sense. Like you said, likely he'll slot into uh, the AAA outfield depending on how the Brewers decide to start the year on the major league level. So let's move to our final segment here today, our fact or fiction. First, let's look back to last week's fact or fiction, which was actually a close one. Uh, According to our Twitter poll, uh, fact or fiction, Bryce Turang will be on the opening day roster. I think that uh, for the preceding one was about Sal Freilich making the opening day roster. Mm-hmm. With Turang, uh, 54% said fact, Turang will be on the opening day roster. If I remember correctly, you said you believe he will be. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, you thought Turang will be on the opening day roster um, and, and fit more into that utility role, play a little bit of second base as the Brewers mix, mix and match Urias and Brasso. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows, maybe another third baseman if they if they bring somebody in. Uh, but this week's fact or fiction here, uh, number one here, Craig Council is the best manager in franchise history. Fact. Fact. Interesting. He, um, I think I tweeted this out, but if the Brewers win 90 games, he'll go into the top 100 all-time and wins as a manager, which I was, I was surprised about. In baseball, yeah. just to be clear. The average manager only lasts about 2.3 years in each stop. And Council's now been managing for almost, let's see, more than seven years. Um, and he's the, he passed Phil Garner this year, right? I believe so. I know he passed him. I'm trying to remember. What yeah, there we go. Yeah, 6.15 yeah. now. So, yeah, I, I think it's pretty obvious. He's had the most sustained success. Yeah, he trails Dale Swaim in winning percentage. He does, yes. Dale Swaim, that, that 2008 run, 7-5 and five, uh, in his time with the Brewers. But, yeah, it, it, on the surface, you, you my initial reaction is, like, really Craig Council of all time, greatest mm-hmm. for the Brewers. But, of course, probably the first manager that comes to mind, at least for me, is, is Harvey Keene. But didn't have much of a tenure with the Brewers. Didn't win a championship in case Brewer fans forgot. <laughs> um, you really I, had to bring it up. Yeah, I had to make sure everybody was aware of that. Uh, number two, my, my number two probably is Ken Maka. Just, just <laughs> love the uh, the Ken Maka. Now, I, honestly, I, I've enjoyed, of course, Craig Council as the Brewers manager. The Brewers would not have had near the success that they've had, and Stearns wouldn't have had the success that he had. I think Stearns and Council um, complement each other well in that role, and I think you're right. I mean, he's the winningest manager in, in Brewers history. And as we've seen more and more, uh, I guess, switching across managers, council, he's up there as the longest longest tenured in the National League currently, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. So there's a lot of yeah a lot of things mm-hmm. going for him, and I certainly hope the Brewers don't don't go away from him. Mm. I know that came up with with uh, Arnold taking over, but yeah. One thing actually about Arnold though is I know he wasn't the top guy in Tampa Bay, but when he was still in Tampa Bay as an assistant GM, they actually brought in Council for an interview to be the manager and he took himself out of the running so um that familiarity there and of course Arnold has worked with council closely uh, while he's been under Stearns for seven seven plus years now it doesn't really seem like a real possibility that council's let go anytime soon even if the Brewers have a pretty bad year I think it would take more than just that for the Brewers to let council go of course being the guy the local guy played for the Brewers and has had a lot of success um, with the uh, with the Brewers, yeah. Number two, this is this is an interesting one. I like this one. Brewers should retire Ryan Braun's number. Fact or fiction? I'm gonna go fact on this one. 
I'm also going to go fact on that. I have to think about it a little bit. I, I, I know you're, you already know that I'm going to bring up Raleigh Fingers uh, <laughs> uh, number retirement, but I think that he should be retired. I mean, he was the man, obviously, for the Brewers in his, in his time with the Brewers, and he defines the Brewers era mm-hmm. uh, from 07 on, basically, until his retirement, more or less. And so I think he should be. Obviously, you could make the case if he's on a different team, uh, will we have a Ryan Braun in the future for the Brewers? Hopefully we'll have someone with the, put up the career numbers that he has. But if you think about the franchise across 50 years, how many players have put up the career that Braun did with the Brewers? Uh, less. less Two. Than, yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. I think I think it should be retired. The The PEDs are in the rearview mirror. Um, I think that mm-hmm. – I think, I think you do retire Ryan Braun's number. Yeah. Barry Bond's number is retired by the Giants. Um, I'm not sure if there are any other of the, like the the clear PED guys who have. I mean, who would it be? Right, clear, clear PED. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, A Rod right. would be, of course, a possibility. Manny, Manny, um, right? Like, but yeah, A Rod. They're both. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe maybe someone who's not a Brewers fan would would say that they're similar. That Braun is similar to Manny or A Rod, but I feel like both of them are are kind of polarizing. Um, the only thing is, A-Rod, would they retire an odd number or an even number <laughs> for him? Because he does prefer the even numbers, yes. but he, he wore an odd number in New York. He does, as he As he says on the broadcast sometimes. Yeah. No, I think, and honestly, if you ask me, should A-Rod's number be retired for the Yankees, I would say he should. You think so? I think I think he should. I mean, they've retired everyone else's. Yeah, pretty much. So. What was the Pope Francis number? Uh, yeah, there was, <laughs> they, uh, one, one of the Popes visited, not Pope Francis, it was probably 20... 20, more than 20 years ago um i act like i remember it or something <laughs> i don't but he visited he, they did a mass at yankee stadium and um one of the local writers said that they retired the number xvi for the pope after um with the uh, number of of number of numbers that, number that of numbers, the yankees yeah. have retired and every single digit number except for zero even is retired by the yankees number 10 also so 11 is the lowest yes, number that's that true. you can go that's true Let's build off of that one for number three here. The Brewers should build a statue of Ryan Braun. Fiction. I'm going to go fiction as well. I think that's kind of where I feel like his career lies. And you think about, I'm trying to think of, of all the statues. Of course, you got Hank Aaron, Paul Molitor, Bud Selig. When there's no Molitor statue. Oh, that's right. No Molitor statue. Mol- uh, Yount, Yount Selig. Mm-hmm. And Euchre. Euchre up in, twice. Up in... Yeah, there's a there's a that's normal right. Euchre, or a, a, one on the concourse. That's right. And then one on the uh, upper level. The Brewers are the only team with more famous non-players than famous players. <laughs> like I, I bet there are more people that know who Bud Selig is than Robin Yount, or who know that Bob Euchre is who Bob Euchre is than Paul Molitor. And you think more people know Bob Euchre than Paul Molitor in the world or in Wisconsin? Both. Both. I think so. Perhaps that is true, though. Number four here: the Brewers City Connect uniforms are their best uniforms. Fiction. I'm gonna go fiction as well. I go. I'd go with the cream ones. Okay, I would I would go with the pinstripe ones. Those are my favorite. But I, th- there are a lot of good aspects of the City Connect uniforms. But I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of the hats. I, I'm never really a fan of having powder blue in the hat. And I also think there's just a little bit too much going on with the MKE and the four one four. Now you're sounding really old. Why? It's just, it's just too much going on. What with these, with plain these new block uniforms. M yeah. is what, what what they should have? Yeah. No, I mean like I like them still, but. But I, they're, they're, they could do a little bit better on them, and and I'm actually a huge fan of the road grays. I think those are mm. those are really good uniforms. I, I just love them for some reason. 
Interesting. What's our, our final fact or fiction that we have today? Our final one is the ball and glove logo is the best logo in all of sports. Fact or fiction? That's an interesting one. I, I'm trying to think of what, if I say fiction, I feel like I have to have an answer to what the best logo is. So I'll just say fact. Okay. I mean, there's, what would be the other candidates? Even in baseball, like there's, there's like the iconic ones like right, Dodgers Yankees. and Yankees, but those aren't like really that great. Um, I, I'd go fact too, because I think the Brewers combined or not even the Brewers, right. but the, the designer um, combined like that aspect of both, both like the, it, it's simple, but it has like that, that really like of all the logos that have, that have like the hidden things yeah under it i think the brewers are the best at that like it's not confusing like the expos old logo with like what does it mean the m and e and b or whatever it was um or even like hartford whalers was one of them and they like like they had like an h and a w and theirs theirs was cool but i don't think it was a a brewers type uh type good one so i mean of course I mean, no bias at all. Not at all. No, but, but I mean, I mean, honestly, though, if you think about, I think if you say most clever, I think for sure it's it is because like you right. said, the the way that yeah. they do it, and if you look at rankings of the best logos, it's mainly just all of the Yankees, Dodgers, Cardinals, which Cubs, even the Tigers, which are all mm-hmm. iconic logos, but mm-hmm. they're also like not anything. Right. I mean, they're, they're just old school logos that they decided to keep for a yeah. long time. Right. Like, I, I don't know. Did the, if that, the Brewers kept the M from the 1970s? Would that be like an iconic logo then? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> maybe if they were like the, if they kept the uh, 1894 Western League Milwaukee Brewers. If that was, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say um, Orioles. There's the, the cartoon bird. Yeah. That's a good one. And Blue the Blue Jays, Jays yeah. is really good. Yeah. I think with the, the Blue Jay with the. The maple yeah. leaf. Yeah, Orioles, Blue Jays, and Brewers have that sort of 80s vibe, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's where they were originated from, and, and I think all those were mm-hmm. our good logos. And really, all of them, all were there in that decade, went away, and then all mm-hmm. three came back, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, um, the Brewers are, they've always taken their logos and their uniforms pretty seriously, but they've done it sometimes better than others. Um, having the ball in glove, though, is, I think it'll, they went away from it for a little bit. They brought it back as a retro but I think even now they made a few changes, but it's still excellent. And it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's not going to go anywhere. No, for sure. Absolutely. So, again, to wrap up, of course, Brewers sending off Hunter Renfro in exchange for a trio of prospects. So we talked about some of the moves uh, and letting some relievers go, bringing on Blake Perkins. Um, and talking Willie Adame's extension as well. So, with that, this is Peter and David Go signing off. Go Brewers! listening to the barrel banter we'd appreciate it if you leave a comment or review so we can get the word out about our show to hear more find us on youtube at the barrel or on twitter at the barrel mke we look forward to connecting with you next time